Um, I, it gives me great pleasure to introduce Amy Heineke. She's the Vice President of Product Engineering at Primer AI. Uh, she says that she's always been interested in using data and algorithms to tell stories and understand the world that we live in. Amy was a mathematician originally and became interested in data that could be used to tell stories that are not visible to an individual. This database story theme pulled her to Silicon Valley in 2008. She says that she's had a strange, a strange background for someone at a startup, and it's not something that she planned on, but her curiosity-driven nature led to this path. As the vice president of product engineering, she admits that it was a struggle to name the team because their product is an, is an NLP tool, and she describes it as applied machine learning and applied science wrapped with data science into a product. Primary AI has been able to wrestle some interesting problems. Uh, one area that they're active in is around news data and news cycles. I think we can admit that we're overwhelmed by content, uh, that this is a, it's a pretty big theme, and there are a lot of big problems in the world currently. Primary AI models the contrasting narratives that people are telling around global stories using millions of statistical observations about entities and their relationships. Another area that they're very active in is around Wikipedia. Human written summaries and maintaining these summaries is extremely time intensive. And Primary AI has formulated NLP approaches to creating and maintaining pages. They also look at how people use Wikipedia and what it means for technology. Another area that Amy is very interested in and works closely on as, as Primary AI has grown, she's focused more and more on diversity on her teams. Um, she believes that solving and wrestling with these problems uh, requires a variety of viewpoints and approaches. Um, her team currently includes a computational chemist, an astrophysicist, and a history computer science graduate. For her talk, she will focus on an idea that primary AI had from the very beginning, the challenge of Wikipedia, how we think about humans and machines interacting with AI, and understanding the data and then overcoming the bias that you discover. So please join me in welcoming Amy Heineke, VP Product Engineering from Primary AI. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Um, uh, that was a, a really lovely introduction, and uh, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be here today. I feel like there have been some uh, great conversations, and it's a little bit tricky trying to figure out how to follow such esteemed panelists uh, right now. Um, so I've been with Primer since it was founded um, four years ago. So we work with analyst teams. We work with people in organizations who, um, who need to be experts on the world, who... Um, who uh, have to develop a view of what's going on so they can build decisions off of that. Um, and, and, and their time isn't growing exponentially either, right? Um, so we see this difference between um, the content we can consume uh, and what's available. We call that, that difference the intelligence gap. Um, and that gap manifests itself in a lot of different ways. Um, we, so we talk to financial analysts who will very sheepishly uh, admit that they don't actually read all the 10K filings that they should be reading, um, that they skip over analyst reports that you know, are probably pretty important for their investment decisions. Um, and you know, as, as individuals, as concerned citizens... Uh, we feel this when you know, we, we read a lot of news about some topic and we feel like we know a lot about it, and then we talk to our, you know, our cousins on the other side of the country and realize that you know, actually uh, our information is completely different to each other. We, um, you know, we, we have a 
disjoint view of the world because we're not actually reading the same content. We're sampling it in funny ways. Um, so so this, creates, this, this creates a lot of problems. Um, but I think we're very excited about the promise of uh, natural language technology um, to, to help us grapple with this and help us build tools. So I'm going to talk a, a bit about um, a project we've been working on over the last year um, that I, th I think is very interesting to this room. And I'm actually super happy that Victoria is here to kind of um, correct me if I get anything wrong from, uh, sort of from the Wikimedia perspective. Um, so Wikipedia is an incredibly important resource for us, and I don't have to make that case. Um, it's something that we use... Uh, we use all the time, but we also use it to train our AI models, right? So as machine learning researchers, it turns out it's one of the most interesting and rich um, text data sets um, uh, that, that we can leverage, you know, all this kind of linked data, multilingual data. It's very important to us. So the fact that it's so important to us means that the, the places where there are flaws or failings in it are actually very important to us, right? And, and we should think about those and engage with those questions. So, so one way to think about uh, how well things perform is the pre precision and recall framework. So precision is the idea of, you know, of the stuff that's there, how good is it? And on the recall side, what's missing? So um, precision recalls are really useful framing, right? So, um, uh, so when we think about Wikipedia's precision, actually, um, if, if you think about when you go and read Wikipedia pages, they're actually incredibly good content, right? They're, they're incredibly good quality. So the, the grammatical correctness, the, 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 um, the, the um, references behind the facts that are there, the fact you can go back and, uh, you know, read uh, good sourcing material. Um, and especially for pages that are well-trafficked that a lot of people go to, um, it's, it's incredibly impressive, and, um, and that's really driven by the, the editorial processes, the teams of people that are working on this, and, and a lot of hard, um, dedicated work from um, in, you know, wonderful people, basically. Um, when we think about recall, th that's actually an interesting framing, because um, there are some challenges here. So um, there, there are two kinds of recall we can think of. So one of them is the challenge of staleness, um, and another one is of uh, coverage. So staleness is, uh, uh, one to point out, so um, this is the page for Alex uh, Alexander Kogan, who's the academic behind the Cambridge Analytica scandal. Um, this was front page news for a while, and while it was front page news, um, this page was written. Um, it's a very well written page, it's very well uh, referenced and backed up. Um, but what's interesting is that as soon as this story dropped out the front pages, the page basically went stale. Nobody went in to update that. Um, and the, the very last reference, the 26th of April, um, following on that, there was actually, uh, there are many major updates to this story um, that impacted him. So Cambridge Analytica went, uh, filed for bankruptcy and there were follow-on um, hearings and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, so you might not realize if you read it, but, um, but there's more that you could have known. Um, the second problem um, that Victoria mentioned already is the coverage uh, challenge. So coverage is, is actually quite hard to spot. Um, it, it shows up in the pages that you really expect to be there that, that actually aren't. So uh, on the morning that uh, Donna received the Nobel Prize call from the, um, uh, to announce that she'd won the Nobel Prize in physics, um, she didn't have a Wikipedia page. Um, and then this is the page that was written um, after that announcement came out. Um, it's pretty stunning um, that this was missing, um, and it's really good to hear about the work that was done to try and unpack and, and think about why, in this particular case, uh, 
that could have happened, uh, to figure out how to build tools to help it. Um, one thing that's very clear, though, is it's actually an enormous challenge to think about uh, what should what, what could belong in Wikipedia? What information could be there? And how could you, um, uh, you know, how could you keep up with the scale of that? How could you uh, spend the time to keep all of these pages up to date to create them all? Um, so at first blush, the, the numbers of editors of Wikipedia are absolutely immense, right? Tens of millions of people have um, made edits to Wikipedia and, uh, and changed it. But when you actually cut down to the number of people, the, the number of dedicated souls who are regularly logging in and making a lot of changes, who are doing all those edits, the numbers get to be a lot smaller. And so 3,500 people doing 100 edits a month, you know, that's an impressive number. It's a lot bigger than the Encyclopedia Britannica team, I'm sure. Um, but it's still a bit daunting when you kind of compare that to the, uh, you know, the number of people who are appearing in the news. Um, the number of new technologies that are getting developed, um, the number of new companies that are out, uh, that are out there. Um, uh, and so this is actually a pretty uh, big challenge for us to kind of think about. Um, so, so what did we do? Well, uh, what we wanted to think about is how we could um, kind of address uh, and kind of interact with that, that recall problem. So, um, so we built a system called Quicksilver, um, so the idea of Quicksilver is that we could um, uh, draft a first version of a Wikipedia page, um, and so we could present this to people who wanted to create pages so that it would be quicker for them to then go and do the final draft, uh, the final edits, and publish that. Uh, we started with um, a focus on scientists, because I guess we just like scientists a lot. And that's why. Um, and uh, you can go to this page and have a look. So there's uh, examples for 100 different scientists um, that you can uh, log on and read and kind of see uh, you know, how this is performing. Uh, we also put up a blog post where we described the methodology in a lot more detail and put some of the training data up. Um, uh, so I'm going to go through and talk about how, how we did this. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit after that about um, how we think about it. Um, so we started off, um, as any good you know, machine learning project should do, with a big pile of data. Uh, so our friends over at the Allen Institute for AI gave us a list of uh, 200,000 scientists who published recently. Uh, we got a, we've got a corpus of uh, half a billion English language news stories. Uh, and then we uh, got access to the whole of Wikipedia and then the sister project Wikidata. So our first challenge was to link these together. Um, so uh, a good example of why this is hard is um, the Michael Jordan of AI, who is actually Berkeley's very own Michael Jordan. If you search for his name, you probably don't get his research as the first thing back. You have to start adding in other words, so his university or his research interests, and then you can find um, the wonderful things he's uh, written. So we had to train the models to be able to do something similar. Um, but once we had, we could make some pretty interesting uh, kind of data to look at this. So um, we could build a list of all the scientists and then uh, how many news articles we could find about them um, and then what their coverage was in uh, uh, Wikipedia. And then we could look at some of the, the missing cases. So, uh, you know, who wasn't making it into Wikipedia, who maybe uh, should have been. Um, the next thing we could do is go back and start to train some models. So we could look at all the scientists that are on Wikipedia um, that we could find news about, 
and uh, um, that we had their page for, and we could build a model of how the content in news maps to content that's put into Wikipedia. Um, and then we could apply that model to the people who had the news but didn't have the Wikipedia page. Um, so here's a couple of examples of what this looks like. Um, this is the page for uh, Karen Lips. So she's a researcher in uh, frogs, uh, <laughs> I guess. Um, she's done some incredible research. Um, so there's a, there's a few things going on uh, on this page that I can point out. So um, first of all, we could structure some biographical information about her. So we could go and look for a field of study, um, uh, institutions, awards she may have had. Um, secondly, we could build a model that looks for rich kind of biographical information that was talked about in the news articles and surface that to make very rich paragraphs of information. Um, and then thirdly, we could bring in the idea of an event stream. So of all the news content that was coming out, we could highlight the most recent stories. So they may be the things that are most likely to have been missed um, uh, or, you know, that need to be kind of brought in to kind of keep the page fresh. Um, so here's another example. Um, Andre Kapthi is the director of AI for Tesla. And actually, amazingly, when we started this project, he was also didn't have a Wikipedia page um, that's subsequently been built. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, so those three components are here. Um, and we also put in full references. Um, if you go to the Quicksilver page, the references are all formatted nicely, so they're easy to kind of copy and paste into a Wikipedia editor. Um, so, so here's what we did. So we, we posted them to this site um, uh, so that you could go and look, look at it. Um, so I want to go back to this framing of kind of precision and, and recall and think about... Um, uh, what we can, uh, you know, what we can kind of learn uh, from here based on what we did. So it's very clear that on the precision stakes, uh, people people are very very good, right? And I think if you read through the um, the, the, the computer generated summaries, it's getting pretty good actually, but it's still clunky, um, and uh, you know, there's still work to be done there. But on the recall side, it's actually very interesting. So we were able to create 40,000 summaries overnight, very quickly. Um, those summaries were looking across vast numbers of news articles, so far more than, uh, you know, uh, so for, for an individual page, far more than a person could easily even read through if they were trying to draft the article. Um, so it, it turns out it's, it, it's a lot of work to create a, uh, a, a Wikipedia page. Um, it takes a lot of time to gather all the evidence, um, uh, and, and draft that content. And so when we built the system, um, you know, we didn't want to just immediately publish the pages to Wikipedia because you know, Wikipedia has some very high-quality bars, which, um, which we respect. Um, but what we did want to do is build for people who were creating content. So um, here's an example of one of the people that, um, that inspired us and that we've kind of shared this work with. Um, so Jessica Wade is a researcher um, a physics researcher at Imperial College London. Um, she was shocked when she got into physics and looked around and realized that there weren't very many women around. And that actually, uh, beyond that, the women who were there, you know, their stories weren't being well told. Um, and so what did she do about it? Well, she went on a mission to go and create um, many, many pages. So she did 270 pages in a year. 
uh, which is hugely amazing. Um, um, other groups that, that, that inspire us, so uh, 500 Women of Science is an organization that brings together uh, that, that brings together edit-a-thons where teams of people come together um, and sit down and uh, encourage each other and help each other through the process of writing pages and publishing them. Um, and so these kind of tools for those kinds of people are very useful because it means that the effort that they put into creating the pages um, can be much more efficient. Um, the, the legwork of gathering the information can be done by the machine, but they can bring in uh, their expertise, their vision, their good grammatical, grammatical skills to kind of create that final thing uh, and post it. Um, so one of the things that we've, we've thought a lot about is what the goals of AI systems are. Um, and I think this is something that got highlighted, especially in the last panel uh, by, um, by Karen. But um, it's very tempting when you're dealing with ML to think that the right thing to do is to build a predictive system that's going to automate everything. Um, you think that's the goal, and if you don't quite get there, then like, that's what you're trying to get. Um, but actually, what's interesting is that you can have different set of goals, which would be um, to look at a human system... Um, and figure out how to support that. Um, so for some tasks, you know, uh, um, so for example, if, you, if you're building an ML system to help you sort fruit while you're, pick, you're picking it in the field, um, you, you want that to be as automated as you possibly can, right? It's great if it's automated, and it's fine if it makes some mistakes. But there's plenty of other systems where actually there are huge human implications of the decisions that are made. And there's processes already in place where people are making decisions about what to do. So this could be you know, in the, in the legal space and deciding the sentencing and parole opportunities for people, right? Um, uh, so we work with analysts in different industries. So they're, they're making very impactful decisions. You know, who do I invest in? Or how do I understand what's going on in a region of the world? Um, there are already teams in place. They already have their, their processes for how they make these decisions. And so our goal can, instead of just being trying to automate the whole thing, our goal can be, how do we make them more efficient? How do we give them more access to data so that they, they have better inputs to that process? Um, and what's very interesting, when, when your goal shifts to being explicitly empowering people to, to do these decision-making processes, actually the set of problems that you end up then needing to unpack shift a little bit, right? So the machine learning algorithm is still really important, the performance of that, so dealing with the, the architecture of it, the training data for it, you know, that's important. But there's a bunch of other questions that open up. So the framing of, well... You know, what actually is the most useful information that we could put in front of somebody? What kind of evidence would they need to be able to see to be persuaded that, um, that they could make a decision? Um, and so actually user experience becomes very important. The, the question of what information is presented, uh, you know, and how, how do people interact with it, that becomes very important. Um, and there's actually this whole kind of host of questions that we end up wrestling with. Um, so this is a picture of um, a, a few of my wonderful colleagues from Primer. And I think there's a couple back at the back of the room um, waving, yeah, who've, who've come. Um, so the, the biggest privilege of my career has, has been to get to build a team. So to, to actually make some choices about, you know, who are we looking for? Who do we want to hire? Who do we bring in? Um, and uh, so when we look around at Primer, there's actually some people who've come from very, very different backgrounds. So... Um, you know, a couple of these people were working as journalists before, so they were uh, 
publishing uh, news articles, um, uh, working on uh, interactive graphics, so how do people... Um, uh, uh, yeah, how do, how do people learn quickly from data and interpret that well? Um, Rain asked a question earlier this morning, but I think she had to leave. So she's a history undergrad. She's been thinking lots about um, uh, language. She can actually write prose really well. So it turns out that when you're thinking about language generation, it's nice to have people who care about that in the room. Um, uh, Anna, who's at the back, and Emmanuel are computational scientists. So they actually came in uh, with a perspective of uh, you know, understanding really messy data and how do you apply algorithms towards that. Um, uh, Steph, who's also at the back, is a wonderful designer who thinks about uh, you know, how all these pages uh, look, how do you interact with them. So I highlight these people because I think um, you know, tech comes from people at the end of the day. And um, w one of the things as we've wrestled with these problems is you realize there's, um, uh, when you have this huge, hugely diverse set of problems that you actually have to solve to be able to build systems that are useful for people, you, you need different kinds of people in the room, right? You, you want people who've come from, uh, who, who bring very different perspectives. So when you sit down and you're trying to figure out how to solve it, you can say, well, you know, how much is this is a data visualization problem? How much of this is a, um, you know, a, a, a data analysis problem? Uh, you want to be able to draw on those different, uh, those different skill sets and bring them together. Um, so this also makes me kind of, uh, kind of curious and hopeful when I think about um, the future of AI. So you know, one of the things that's been very clear from today is there's a huge amount of work for us to do. So there's a lot of interesting opportunities of kind of fun things we can build, but there's a lot of hard problems we've got to wrestle with as we go on that, uh, on that path, so on the, the ethics and accountability kind of questions. Um, uh, but there's a lot of interesting people who want to get engaged with that, which is kind of cool. Um, and I think one of the things that's interesting now, uh, one of the other trends we're seeing is that um, as more of these kind of algorithms get well-written about and explained and some of the tools get easier to, to download and um, to kind of play around with, there is actually an opportunity for us to make it easier for more people to come into the field um, and for people to come from very different paths and have learned different things on their way before they kind of get in the room. Um, and I think that makes it really interesting to think about the, uh, the kinds of problems we'll be solving um, uh, and the ways that we'll be solving them. Okay, that's it. I don't know if we have any time for questions left, but um, <laughs> maybe not. Thank you. Thank you.